are featured BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders for this episode are World Vision, Zanta Foundation for Women, and Last Chance for Animals. To find out more about these and other BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charity seal holders, go to give.org. You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. Today, I want to talk about fundraising. Fundraising, yes, which is really important, obviously, to nonprofit organizations because regardless of how they generate revenue, usually a chunk of it, a significant chunk of it, comes from the generosity of others. And when I say fundraising, I don't just mean the money that people give. It's also the things and the time that people contribute to organizations that make them go. Without it, you don't have charity. Well, today, my guest is someone who plays a pivotal role, I think anyway, in assuring that people give money. Because we know that generally people don't just wake up in the morning thinking, I'm going to give money to this particular charity. Yeah, some do. But most people give because they have been asked to give. And depending on the quality and the way in which that appeal resonates with you, you will either give or you won't. In fact, we know through data that very few people will actually check out anything before they make a donation. I know this because I've lived it for the last 21 years. Our mission at the BBB Wise Giving Alliance is to help people make informed giving decisions. And we do that by sharing with them information, tips, even reports on charities that they can use to make good decisions. But still, even with the millions of people that come every year to our website, it's only a drop in the bucket when we think about the amount of people who actually give. And most people will give, as I said, because someone asked and they're relying principally on the appeal that they get either from a friend or from the charity directly to making that donation. Well, we want to talk today about these appeals and how they're done and how they should be done and crafted to gather, I think, the interest 
of donors. And with me to talk about that is my lifelong friend, Mary Kalan. Now, why is Mary a lifelong friend? Mary is also, like me, a graduate of Franklin and Marshall College. That's right. Franklin and Marshall College, little top 50 liberal arts college in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You've probably heard me talk about this school with pride as I've been a trustee of this place for more than, I want to say, 25 or so years, 26 years, maybe. I've been on a board of Franklin and Marshall. I know Mary has been very active with the alumni board as a member of that group uh, over the years. And since she's left Franklin and Marshall, Mary has gone on to have a 35-year career in the nonprofit world as a fundraiser. Today, she is a consultant and copywriter and blogger, still helping fundraising organizations or charities approach their fundraising with hands-on skill. Mary knows about connecting vision with donors, and she knows that that is the secret of a strong organization. So she helps with effective donor communications and smart planning. You should learn more about her, by the way, at mkalan.com. Well, Mary, anyway, welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast. It's so great to have you here with me today to talk about all this stuff. It's so wonderful to be with you, Art, anytime. <laughs> well, you know, I got to start off with our embarrassing story. <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned Franklin and Marshall. Mary and I went to Franklin and Marshall together. My college roommates convinced me to take a class in Shakespeare. And I was like, why would I want to take a class in Shakespeare? I'm struggling enough as it is. You guys want me to take a class with Shakespeare? Oh, no, you got to do it. This is an amazing professor. You got to take this class. So, all right, I take this class. And we're like four classes in. And the professor, the late, great Gordon Wickstrom, who, by the way, was absolutely amazing as a professor in this class. So Gordon sees that I'm really struggling in this class and he makes a proposition. And I, I mean, I was really struggling. I try to read the play and I get a few pages in and I'd be passed out. I just couldn't get past the language. Even they used to have, uh, Mary, you'll remember, language labs where you could go up and play the records. Yeah. Plays. So I'd sit in one of those booths and I don't know, the heat felt like it was turned up to 120 degrees. And even after the record started playing a while, I'd be passed out. So I was really struggling with this class. Anyway, Gordon comes up to me after one class. He says, look, I can see you're ch challenged a little bit. Tell you what, what I'm going to do. I am putting on a play this year, this semester. It's called The Shoeing of Blanco Posnet. It's a George Bernard Shaw play. I knew nothing about Shaw. I knew nothing about plays. But he said, I want you to show up every evening for the rehearsals of this play. And if you do that, you will get no less than a B minus in my class. I signed up for that deal right away. <laughs> right away. So I get through this play. And I actually completed the class, Mary. And 
to this day, I can honestly say I can read these plays and I enjoy them. And I'm certain that that would not have happened had I not stuck with that class and had Gordon not given me the opportunity to not worry so much about the grade and just try to get something out of the experience, you know, that was really important. And I, and I point out to that because Mary was in this play. We were both characters in this play, which is how we met. And who would have thought 35 years later or how many years it's been? Even more, I think, yeah. That we would be <laughs> sharing this podcast together. Right. Talking about our work in the nonprofit field. Well, anyway, I had to tell that story, Marion. <laughs> of course, she was terrific anyway in playing. But So anyway, now that that story's out the way, what have you done with yourself these last 35 years in the sector <laughs> that you believe we should know about? Oh, my. Well, I fell into fundraising like most people do. I had been the box office manager at a theater, my first job in theater. I didn't realize until then that you could actually have a job and get paid for working <laughs> in a theater. So exciting. How about that? But when I moved up to Connecticut, I needed a job right away and looked at another regional theater, a Hartford stage, and they hired me to be in sort of a entry-level fundraiser. It was me and a director of development. A few months later, she left. <laughs> so this brand new person to fundraising was the development, the fundraising department. That was it. That happens so much in nonprofits, though, doesn't it? Right. Well, I was. I think. It, I think it was a good thing for for me, and I think for the organization because the marketing director and I just sort of put our heads together. We got a consultant who gave us some pointers, and we didn't know what we didn't know. So we didn't know. Oh, you can't do that. We just did it. And I learned by doing and they let me. And that was really priceless. It was fabulous, you know. Yeah. Try it. And that's what fundraising is, right? You try something, you measure it. If it didn't work, you figure out what didn't work and you try something else. There's no hard and fast perfect. So why do people say, and I know we, I, I'm, I know I hear it. I'm sure you hear it too. Oh, I don't want to have to ask people for money. But scary. It's scary. It makes you feel vulnerable. So especially for the folks who do sort of major gift fundraising, face-to-face asks, what if they say no? <laughs> you know, it feels like a rejection of you, not just of the request. It's certainly easier to do behind a screen or on a piece of paper, but it, it still means you have to demonstrate some vulnerability. You have to know that most people are likely to say no. So how do you feel when people tell you no? Um, usually a little embarrassed. Did I do something wrong along the way? Not to, not to have gotten to a yes. But I think the most important thing is to keep that relationship going. So it may not be a no forever. It may be a no for today. For any, any number of reasons that might have absolutely nothing to do with your organization or your mission, or could be a bad day. It could be any kind of thing in that person's life that changes their, their way of thinking about giving that day. Yeah. Well, I I ask you this question, but I feel the same way. When I hear the word, no, I'm like, oh man, what did I do? Right. Is it something (laughs) I, am I hurting the organization? Did I say something wrong or 
did we ask for the wrong amount of money? Did we not do our homework and really understand what the person? Sometimes when I hear no, I feel like, boy, I put this person in a bad position. Yes. Yes. You, know? you feel like, did I embarrass them by? Yeah. yeah. I put this person yeah. in a bad position. And, you know, we should feel some of that, but we we should get over it pretty quickly though, right? Yeah. I mean, it's human to take all of that very personally. And it, in a way, it, it, it needs to stay that way, right? If you ever get to the point where you don't feel that way, then you're kind of turned into a machine. And yeah. that's that's the end of the real point of fundraising. But yeah, you have to just carry on and hope you hope you do better next time. Well, I talk about this because we also have a shortage in fundraisers in the country. Yes. I've talked to a lot of organizations that are in middle campaigns and they can't find good development people. And so as much as we are training people now in many more institutions to get degrees in nonprofit management and fundraising and so forth, many more situations today than there used to be, we still are finding that not enough people are deciding on fundraising as a career. And um, I think there are ramifications for that. Yeah. One of which might be we go back to finding people like you, Mary, who never thought you'd be doing fundraising and say, get out there and ask people for money. You know, <laughs> stumble into it. Stumble yeah. into it. Which <laughs> well, is, I guess, it, not it, terrible, but, you know, it's. No, it's, no, it can. It, it, I, I think really almost anybody can learn to be a fundraiser, but you have to, you have to be willing to learn and learning means failing and failing again and failing until you find the right way to do things. Yeah. But, uh, you know, nonprofit life can be, can be tough. Most people don't work for really large organizations or colleges or universities where the pay scale is pretty decent. They work for tiny nonprofits where you might not know if you're going to get paid at all next week. Depends on the cash flow. So it's it's tough, but it's also really rewarding. So don't put it aside if you're thinking. <laughs> You've worked with a lot of boards too, and I know there can be some issues associated with how board members view professional development people that you've written about. Yeah. What are some of the key things that concern you about how some boards operate with development folk? I think, I think there's, there's a relationship that needs to be developed and it has to be respectful on both sides. So sometimes board members get their arm twisted, come to it with kind of ready ideas about what the organization is or should be that don't quite match where the organization is and hope that they can just tell people what to do without being involved in the doing. So on the fundraiser side, that can feel tough, but it's kind of up to the fundraiser to really build those relationships. I've been mostly really lucky. The board members I've worked with over my career, some of them are, are still really good friends. And the others I wish were still really good friends have just sort of lost them in the way, you know? Yeah. But if you can build that sense of trust both ways. I'm not going to put you in a bad situation or make you embarrassed. And I'm not going to ask you to do stupid things. I, I want to use your talents and put them to work as best I can. You manage board, they manage you. It's, you know, you work together. 
Well, it's one of the easiest things to measure, or so we think, right? We think either you raised the money or you didn't. Either we met the goal or we didn't. So success is usually based on hitting a number. Yeah. But should that be how we evaluate development people and the development effort writ large? It's an easy way to measure, but it's not a well-rounded way to look at things. There's so many factors outside of fundraisers' control. The climate out there, how people are feeling about their money, what things about the organization that fundraisers don't necessarily have a say in. It would be wiser to do a more well-rounded look and measure what have people tried, what have people put their efforts into, and and we probably as fundraisers need to be better at explaining all that goes into the work. Mm. Um, It's not just hitting people up for money, as I've heard non-fundraisers say all the time. It's It's not that violent to begin with. I don't like that kind of language for something like asking, but there is a whole lot that goes into it. And sometimes a lot of the work is sort of under the water. You can't, you can't see what's happening or why, what goes into the final, the final results. Yeah, that's true. And I, I've been telling some of the organizations I've been affiliated with that we shouldn't be thinking about just fundraising for today. Now, every organization has to raise enough money to keep its mission going in a particular year. Get that. However, we kind of should be thinking about the long-term viability of people we're asking to give us money, right? So we maybe we should be thinking about talking to people this year, getting to know them, and not asking them for any money right now, and maybe waiting a year or even two years. Before Depending on the donor, point. right? Yeah. And yet you only get that sense of what the timeline should be when you get to know them. Yeah, yeah. Someone, and in the broader sense, for direct response, you have to sort of get to know a, a few ideas of what your audience might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the great development professionals who I got to know was a woman um, who shared with me this thing called the Tarnside Curve. I don't know if you've ever seen this thing. No. There. It's a really interesting thing, but it, it's sort of this curve that goes up to the right, upward to the right. And at the lowest end is a person who doesn't know anything about your organization and you're just trying to create some awareness all the way up to the right where it's ownership. So you go through different phases of engagement um, connection. And then finally they feel an ownership of the organization. Right. And when you, when you consider that curve, you kind of have to think about where people are and how you move them along right on this curve before you can even know how much to ask or whether to ask. Now we don't do that with every donor. I guess if you're doing direct mail campaigns, you don't know these people at all necessarily if you're doing acquisition. You might know a little bit about the type of list that you acquired, right? Right. And who might be on that list. You might know that they've given to other organizations similar to yours. Exactly. 
but you don't know if they're going to give to you. You don't have any direct relationship with them. So those people may be slightly different. And in that game, you're sort of playing a percentage game, right? You're just saying, we know that if we mail this list out, maybe 1% of them will respond with a gift. Yep. And if we can move those people up the ladder, then it would be worth the acquisition. Um, by the way, I should stop and say, so to all of you who get these letters in the mail from charities who you've never heard of, <laughs> I know it's frustrating, but believe me, it's the only way charities can find you and give you a chance to give to them. So don't be frustrated when you see them. It's how else can they find you? Yeah. And if give them you a chance. Can't do that, you got to give them a chance. So. <laughs> I get letters from people all the time. I wish I wouldn't get so many letters in the mail from these various charities. And I'm saying, well, you know, how else can they find you? How else can they find their donors? They wouldn't be able to survive without you. As painful and, and dif disappointing as it is to have to throw these letters out, if you're not interested in supporting them, that's cool. I mean, it's how we have to do it. It is. There's no efficient fundraising market, you know? No efficient. No, we have to find them and then encourage them along and hope that enough people are yeah. interested. So let's talk about the actual ask, Mary, mm -hmm. which I know you spend a lot of time on. What goes into an ask? If you're doing it well, what are some of the elements that you're factoring in? So... Most of what I'm doing these days is is writing, so it's not that person-to-person -person ask where you'll have yeah. time to really learn about the person you're talking to directly. You have to kind of imagine the person you're talking to. But a clear a clear ask is important, so it's almost like a sales proposition. It's if you if you give, this will happen. Here's what you get for it. You don't get money back. You get mission back hopefully. And all too often, that's not clear. And it can be the trickiest part of it is finding that in the direct mail business, we'd call it the offer. What do you get for your $25 for your $50 for your $500? What changes because of you? And once you've got that, the rest of it often just falls into place. Then it's a matter of kind of fleshing that out, illustrating it with a story. And the biggest problem there is often letting the happy ending get to be too much of the story. <laughs> it's hard. It, it takes a little discipline to pull back from that, but you kind of want to keep the, the donor active in there. If, if the problem's already been solved, where's, where's their role? Uh, yeah. So show the donor how powerful they are, what they can accomplish obviously make sure that you then do, <laughs> you can show them that something has been accomplished, but it's really that, that simple and yet not so much, you know? And as I mentioned, we had Carrie Fox on last week, who was, is a real person with words, so to speak. She's really into words and words do matter in, in how we appeal to people. And so much around giving is emotion. Yes. We have to, it seems, move people to want to do something that may be unnatural, right? It, it, maybe it's unnatural to take something you have and give it away. Something totally. you've worked right? for really hard and given it. Yeah. 
so we have to make people do things that are in some ways unnatural. And I've, I've had debates with people about whether it's really unnatural because some people feel like giving is a natural thing, you know, and maybe it is, I don't know, but for some people, it's not natural to take. It's not, it's not logical. It's not right? logical. If, if you're, if you're thinking with that part of your, your yeah. brain, it's, yeah. you know, it doesn't make sense logically to hand over your money, but, <laughs> Right. But I think we've also got that that human desire to to do good to yeah. to to give maybe with a sense that in the largest possible universal sense that that it all comes back to you being part of a healthy community means doing your part so if we approach people logically we're we're likely to interact with that side of their brain and that doesn't usually pan out very well for a fundraiser. Right. If we approach them with feelings, we can move people to, to make a gift. And that approaching people with feelings, that it means we as the fundraiser have to be in touch with our own feelings about it. And that can be scary, right? It's so much easier to be clinical and logical and just do the thing. And so many organizations, at least judging from my mailbox, um, fall back on that. It feels safe. You know, I'm, it's not me involved. I'm, I'm just, you know, putting this on paper and giving you the logical arguments, but you can't, you have to put your heart out there every time I will, I will find myself in the middle of writing an appeal and I have to stop because I'm busy welling up and, and, you know, and, and feeling all the feelings and you have to do that. It's part of it. And it's a privilege. It's It's, privilege. It's a privilege. It's being human. It is. Well, you know, when you when you think about all of the communications that you've put out there over the years and you tell us art, you know, it's really the emotion of the thing. Um, it is. There's no doubt. But then there are other factors, too, that seem to sway people. Right. Oh, my cousin told me to give to this thing. Because yeah. it's so good, or you know, somebody at the workplace, a friend of mine. So uh, the funniest one is like the whole Facebook donation thing, right? We have no idea what we're giving to most of the time, right? Right, right. But it's because of somebody's birthday. Yeah, we're deciding to make a gift, right? It has literally nothing to do with that charity. Everything right. to do with the person who we're honoring on their birthday. So they're like like these new, I don't know if that's a new phenomenon. I think it kind of is that we're giving. I think it's much easier now, right? I mean, social media makes that pretty fluid. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you, I guess we used to send a person a gift or a card or something. Right. So now instead of doing that, we'll just give to something that they want us to give to. Um, And charities are the beneficiaries. Great. But it, 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 it's different than what we would traditionally consider the offer, right? Yes, absolutely. And it may even be that the person whose birthday it is doesn't care much about that organization either. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> just could be a couple of iterations yeah, along, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I heard about this thing. I'm going to give some money. Right. So that's well, kind of interesting. I don't know. I, that that's the that's 
sort of the other side of, of that community, right? You People also give because they want to feel good about themselves. Yeah, and in that case, right. give and ask other people to join you in giving uh, for your birthday because it makes you feel good about it makes you feel empowered. yourself. And, and that's, that's okay. That's, that's really cool because I agree. Yeah. I think one of the reasons we give is that it's empowering. Yep. I find every time I make a gift, I feel good about it. It yep. makes you feel like you've done something good. And that is empowering. No matter when you do it, no matter how much you give, it's empowering. You know? It, it, Absolutely is. And even their physical changes and mm-hmm. no chemist here, but, but right. there are changes within you that hormones that fly through you, that oxytocin, that new moms experience with a baby, you, that floods your system too when you do something good, when you give or you help someone. Yeah. Well, I had a professor on here about, I don't know, eight months, nine months ago who did a study and found out that a lot of times we don't give because we don't think the gift is going to matter very much. But in reality, the recipient actually values that gift far more than we think. So he says, you know, you might think that when you make the gift, the person might feel it's a three out of 10. But to that person, it's like an eight out of 10. Right. No matter how much money it is, it's like a tiny amount of money. And he said, on top of that, further studies show that the person who received that gift is far more likely to make a gift to somebody else. Mm. So I told him, wow, then the key to solving all the problems in the world is to give a penny to somebody and watch that penny you know, go across the globe and solve all the world's problems. Virtuous circle a, there, right? Yeah. yeah. We all took a penny out of our pocket and gave it to somebody. Who knows what would happen? You know, it could yeah. be pretty amazing when you think about it. It would be. It would be. And and it really is. It, giving is a wonderful thing because everybody feels good about it, you know? Yeah. yeah. But that's the job of our organizations mm-hmm. is to make sure that that connection is made. Yeah. Obviously, you don't want to take a you know a beneficiary and put them on display for right. for the donor. But too often we don't report back on yeah. on good news on what happened and bring people closer to the mission. I want to talk to you about stewardship because I know you talk yeah. a lot about that too. So this idea that when someone gives you something, they should be acknowledged for it. Absolutely. How do and, you think we're doing with that? What's your, uh, your story? Again, from judging from my mailbox and inbox, <laughs> again, it's people wanting to feel safe and clinical instead of just being emotional. Mm. You know, it can be hard to write a thank you letter. And isn't that funny? But it's true. Even all these years later, I have trouble with it because we're we're being emotional with someone. We're being, uh, no, you know, we're allowing our vulnerabilities to show by expressing genuine feelings. Um, and at least in our culture, that's, that's sort of a little weird, right? You don't meet somebody and immediately start telling them all about your life. Um, so you have to get, you have to get through that and just think about somebody you do know real well and imagine Mm. it's them. And it doesn't cost you a penny more to be genuinely grateful than it does to be officious, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me of this whole idea of 
it's so much harder to tell someone you don't know that you love them. Oh, right. But yeah. then it is to tell them that you hate them. Yes. <laughs> right? Isn't that sad? Both are emotion. <laughs> right? Both are what, what is with our culture that that's, that's such a hard thing Why to is say, that? right? Why is that? We need more of that. So I would go up in church for a long time. I would go to church and I, during the moment we say the peace, I would go up to people and say, I love you. I love you. I love you. And you should see some of the looks I got from people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't grow up in one of the, you know, maybe it's that Irish culture. I, I didn't grow up in a family where, where I love you was thrown around a right, lot. Yeah. So it took a while to get used to that. But, you know, <laughs> it's real easy now. Luckily, my kids did grow up in that kind of a family. So yeah. <laughs> we need but, more of that. But it's that same idea. I mean, we can't seem to let our guard down. As yes. you say, and be vulnerable. I mean, to say you love someone means that you could be rejected. Maybe they might say, well, what are you? I don't love you, you know, or that <laughs> they even expect that you should say that back to them or, you know what I mean? That they're going to say it. So, you know, maybe they're feeling when you say it, you want the person to receive it the right way. When yep. you say thank you, you want the person to receive it the right way. And you don't quite know if they will. And that's maybe the vulnerability. Yeah, it does imply something of an obligation, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But just do it anyway. So how important is that, though? How important is it to get that part right in the development? Really important. Really important. And, you know, if for no other reason that it's just the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. People don't have to give your organization a penny. They're they're under no obligation to to decide you're you're the place they're going to put some of their hard earned money. They're they're now saying to you, I love you. I want to be part of your mission. I believe in what you're doing. So you've got an obligation to reciprocate with at least a little warmth in the thank you. Yeah. Whether that was a five dollar gift or a five hundred thousand dollar gift, you know. We need more five dollar gifts to tell you the truth. Not from people who can afford more. I'm not talking to you. Right. I'm not right. talking to you. Just want to be right. clear. <laughs> if you can afford to give more, don't tell me you just gave five. All right, I'll take it. But continue to give more. But for people who aren't giving anything right now, give a dollar. Right. Give $2. See how it feels. See how yeah. it feels. Now, I want to say something about that, too. I want to be clear that I am not being critical of people who are lower income absolutely, and who feel that they just don't have the money to give. I get that. Not talking about you. I am talking about people who probably have $20 and change like in their car somewhere and they don't even know it. Sweep up some of those quarters and make a donation. You won't even miss it. You haven't missed it. Right. Right. One of my favorite uh, at at one place that I worked every year, this, this, uh, I'm guessing a little old lady from the handwriting, but we get a little card and $3 in cash in the envelope Mm. every year. That's what she could give. And so she sent $3 in cash, you know, and she was one of my, I never got to know her, but every time that came, I got emotional because it, what did it take? She she probably 
scrounge up that three bucks and it was important to her to support the organization. So she did. Yeah. And, you know, people at the lower income levels tend to give a higher percentage of their income to charity. So kudos to that cohort of our population for their generosity. Absolutely. Kudos to them. And to all of you, again, who are somewhere different, differently placed and who've dropped out of the whole giving world, all I can say to you is I'm just going to ask you to think about does the reason that you dropped out still apply? And if it does, okay. Is there something we can do to change that? Or does the reason that you dropped out not apply anymore? And that maybe you're able to do a little something right now. Mm-hmm. If you can do it. I would say to you, volunteer too, if you could. Yeah, um, and we have we'll to, to start thinking of volunteers as donors as well. Yeah, you know, with right. the same kind of respect. Right. Too often those are seen as unpaid workers. Yeah, exactly. Like lowest on the staff totem pole, you know. Right. Treat people with respect. How, I mean, think about it. What would be easier to, to give your money or your time? If you've got the money to give, you'd probably say, oh, I don't have that time. Yeah. My time's way too valuable for that. I'll, I'll write a check, you know. These people are doing that. All right. So, Mary, we're done. We're, we're out of time here, but I got one oh, last question for you. Okay. And I really appreciate you doing this. All right. So we started off the conversation about FNM and us meeting all those decades ago now and you being this person who had the talent of a thespian and ended up doing something else. Do you have any regrets that you didn't turn out to be Merle street (laughs) and instead you're this fundraiser that charities rely on to get their mission forward? Do you have any regrets that the twists and turns of life landed you in this noble profession at this point? You know, I was a, I was a kid who was sure when she was little, I was going to be a ballerina and you'd find me around the neighborhood in any kind of costume I could find. Right. It was always going to be the thing, right? Some kind of performing, but I feel so lucky that I stumbled into this. I mean, every day I get to do something that helps someone around the world, you know, that, that is full of meaning. I, I'm not, I don't have to be selling widgets, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm helping to do good stuff every day. And that's a huge privilege. Well, we'll leave it at that. Mary, thank you for thank doing you. That. Thank you for uh, giving us your time today. And again, you can find her at M. Colleen, mcolleen.com. Or if it's easier, hands-on fundraising. Hands-on fundraising. They know how to spell my name. Fundraising. <laughs> if you need someone who can help you craft a communication to a donor, she is the person that I would <laughs> highly recommend. Thank you. So definitely check her out. To all of you, who are followers of Mary and you're listening to this podcast for the first time, I hope you will subscribe. We, we, we do these every week and maybe there are some other stories that we'll tell that you'll hear about here that you might want to hear. And we don't, we don't do any promotion for this podcast. So 
The only way we can get people to follow us is by word of mouth. Share it with your friends and family and get them to subscribe too. We got as high ranked, Mary, as number one in the nonprofit genre for podcasts in this country. And we want to get back up there and stay up there. So the way we do that is through people like you subscribing and listening to the show. And if you want to support the podcast, you can do that too. You can make a gift by going to give.org and we will certainly put that money to great use. So thank you all for listening and we'll see you back here next week. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.